This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. His record is in sights. Maybe the American League record, too. He's certainly on pace. There's a Seventy pitches so far for Shohei. Swing and a miss. He got him. The one-two. Swing and a miss. Boy. Three straight. That's oh, beauty breaks it in. The sweeper up here, 0-2, but he strikes out. And that was a solid, solid cutter. That's the best pitch. I, I agree. There's a high fly ball straight away center. Reynolds is back at the wall and it's gone. Welcome back to the MLB.com Ballpark Dimensions podcast. I'm your host, Mike Petriello, a writer and researcher at MLB.com. Joined as always by MLB.com national content editor, Matt Myers. Today is Thursday, July 27th, and there is a lot of trade deadline talk. There are trades that have already happened. We're going to get into all that and the trades that may happen. First, quickly, my thanks to Mark Feinstein for jumping in on short notice last week when I was a little under the weather. Uh, but we are here. The trade deadline is in just a couple of days. The Angels seem like they are going for it. So that's where we're going to start. Full disclosure, as we are starting to record this podcast, it is the top of the first of an Angels doubleheader in Detroit. So things could change considerably by the time you listen to this in a couple hours. Otani just struck out his first at bat. Entering the day, the Angels are 52 and 49. They are four games out of the wild card. They have a 15% chance of making the playoffs from Fangraphs, and yet that has not stopped them from A, saying they're going to keep Shohei Otani, and B, trading for Lucas Giolito and Ronaldo Lopez last night. Matt, I don't think I envy Angels GM Perry Manigian. It seems like the most difficult job in sports right now to have potentially history's greatest player and to not know if you are going to keep him or not. I, I think a lot of us grew up dreaming of like being a GM and making decisions. I don't want this job. I don't want to make these decisions. Um, but this is a decision that's been made. Where are you at on it? I think the decision to hold on to Otani, I'm not surprised by it. I kind of, it was hard for me to see a way in which he got traded for a variety of reasons. And I have no issue with the angels being like, you know what? We have Otani for at least a couple more months. Trout will be back soon. Let's go for it. I do think the timing of it is a bit odd and maybe a little Clumsy. You know, it all felt very orchestrated on Wednesday. I guess it was Wednesday night, right? Where it was like Tom Verducci gets this exclusive story in Sports Illustrated. Otani's off the market. He's not selling. And like baseball Twitter goes nuts. And then like an hour later, the Giolito trade goes down. And it was like clearly, I mean, the Giolito thing was leaked. And then the press release went out like 20 minutes later. So like there's a lot of baseball they're going to play between now and the trade deadline. It felt like they could have waited to make these decisions because like, Giolito is an upgrade for him, and he's got name value for them, and he's got name value. But, like, I'm not really sure how much he moves the needle. Like, if you – people – I see, like, his, you know, 379 ERA being quoted. But, like, his peripherals are not great, and it's like a trend that goes back a few years now. Like, you know, his best full season 2019, his strikeout rate was above 32%. This year it's, like, 25%, right? Like, it's he's, – he's fine. He's good. But, like, it's not like – 
oh my gosh, this is our new game one starter kind of thing. First of all, bless you for saying baseball Twitter went nuts and not saying baseball X went nuts because that is absolutely not a thing I will ever be saying. You're right about Giolito. He's an upgrade. You know, it's interesting. The Angels rotation right now is Otani, Giolito, Reed Detmers, Patrick Sandoval, and Griffin Canning. Like with Tyler Anderson and Jaime Berea and Chase Slothessen Reserve. And it's like, that feels pretty good, right? Like that feels like it should be better than it is. And it's just not, but I'm with you. It's an upgrade, but not one that by itself will move the needle. They they have such a tough schedule. So they're playing the doubleheader right now against the Tigers, um, which at worst they have to split. Can you imagine if they get swept by the Tigers after this trade last night? And then they're going to Toronto for three. And then they're going to Atlanta. That They have six games in five days. Things could look so much different between now and the deadline. And I think that's what stands out to me is you make this decision now, you sort of, I guess if you've decided you're not trading Otani, uh, you need to get Giolito before somebody else does, which is fine. But they have a tough schedule coming up. It's not just that, right? So they also have to play uh, six against Texas and six against Tampa and three against Houston and three against Baltimore. They have the third hardest strength of schedule remaining. And what they've done, well, I do think in some ways it's like the only thing you can do. If you're not going to trade Otani, you have to add, which means they still have to add, right? But they're going to go scorched earth on their farm system. And if this doesn't work next five years are grim. And if it works, great. I should say you and I are supposed to be impartial baseball observers. And what is great? What's the best outcome for baseball? That this works. That Otani gets into October and we see him play in playoff games and Trout is back. Like That is the best case scenario. That is what I want to see happen. I just think, as Fangraphs would tell you, there's like a 15% chance that does happen and an 85% chance of I don't know what's going to happen over the next couple of years. Exactly. But I, I think it's I don't want to say they had to do this. I think they this is the right kind of course for them. I just think that they should have waited till at least till Monday to kind of make this make this decision. And honestly, like if it means missing out on Giolito, like I think that's okay, right? Like there's there's probably another rental pitcher um, they could get that could you know especially over you know we're talking about you know you know ten to ten to fifteen starts. Like the error bars are so wide on ten to fifteen starts of any given pitcher that like and this isn't like you know the Astros getting peak Randy Johnson in 1998 or the Astros getting peak Justin Verlin in 2017. This is like a mid-rotation guy. Let me ask you kind of a more philosophical question too. It's like because of Otani, the Angels have to employ basically a six-man rotation. So does does that make the acquiring a starting pitcher almost less valuable than it would on another team because like theoretically he's going to be pitching fewer innings than he would in a team with a standard five-man rotation? Um, it might. I just think that the bullpen there is so weak. We shouldn't overthink Lopez. Um, he has not had a good season, but he had a very good season last year. Their bullpen is one of the weakest in all of baseball. So I almost think they look at it not so much as starting and relieving just as pitching. And if that means now you have, you know, Canning or Anderson or somebody throwing like bulk relief innings as opposed to starting, like that's fine. It all helps them. They they need pitching. They have needed pitching for some time. I think the one thing we shouldn't overlook here is um, good on the White Sox. Like this seems a pretty decent return for them. So the two prospects that got back are uh, catcher Edgar Cuero, who is a 20-year-old switch hitting catcher, who was their number two prospect, and left-handed pitcher Kai Bush, who was already at double A and he was their number three prospect. The White Sox have had their own set of issues, which we're not going to delve into right this second. But for two rental pitchers, that 
seems decent to me. We'll we'll get into this when we talk about the Dodgers in a minute. You can do okay for rental relievers. That's that's a very good point. I will say, you know, the Cuero had like a huge year in the Cal League last year, which is like a hitter's haven. Um, and I think that there's um, in talking to some of our prospect experts around the office. The outlook is a little maybe less rosy than it was coming into the season than it is right now. You know, like California League is a known hitters league. Last year he hit 312, 435, 530 in the Cal League. This year he's at 246, 386, 332. So that OBP is pretty nice, especially at double A. So it's 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 a it's a nice return for the White Sox. So good good job by them. And I do want to take I would be remiss to kind of digress for a second though. The Angels are playing the Blue Jays. You mentioned it, but I think we should stress this. They are playing the Blue Jays this weekend. So I guess you could argue, like, that is a team they need to—that is literally the team in the third wild card right now. So these are actually, like, huge games. So, like, I maybe want to take walk back a little bit because I'm going to guess Giolito's going to make a start this weekend, and they'll have Lopez in their bullpen this weekend. So, like, the timing of it from that standpoint— Maybe makes a little bit more sense. You could talk yourself and like, actually, you know what? Like, these are three of like the the biggest swing games we're going to have on our schedule in the next few weeks. Like, if we're going to do this, we might as well like make our team as good as we can for these games. He is uh, expected to start against the Blue Jays on Friday, so tomorrow. From our point of view, there, there. I don't want to be like Captain Doom and Gloom here. There is a non-zero possibility that Lucas Giolito's Angels career is Jaime Garcia's Blue Jays career. Uh, excuse me, Twins career. If you remember a couple years ago, they traded for him, had one start from him, and then traded him elsewhere to the Braves. I think this was like the Huascar Noah deal. Uh, or maybe I think I've got that backwards because the Braves got Huascar Noah. Anyway, that was the Jamie, the Jaime Garcia. I, th- thing. I think yeah, Jaime Garcia. Yeah. Um I, I don't think even if the even if the Angels completely fall apart, even if they lose every game for the deadline, I I don't think they're gonna trade it, Otani. But could they turn around and like swap Giolito to somebody, to you know, the Orioles? Sure. I think that's the thing is just because they're all in doesn't mean that they can't turn around because you still got six games left and you could go to Toronto and get swept. Toronto, I looked this up earlier, about uh, six weeks ago, they went into Miami and they got crushed. They lost like 11 to nothing in the middle of uh, uh, June. Since then, they have allowed the fewest runs in baseball and they have the second best record in the American League. The Blue Jays are actually playing really well. Is it that hard to see the Blue Jays, especially in a series where Otani's not going to pitch, crushing the Angels? I don't think that's very hard at all. And then this whole thing looks very different on Tuesday when, again, they will have just played the Braves, who are the best team in baseball right now. I'm fascinated by this whole thing. I guess I'll end on this. Good for the Angels fans because they're keeping Otani and they're like trying to go for it and they're trying to make it work. And I guess I would say no matter what they do, even if they traded Otani or kept Otani and then lost them later, no matter what, there's probably not going to be a time in the next two seasons where they are as well positioned to make it to the playoffs as they are right now does that make sense to you yep 100 yeah i don't think it's gonna end well but uh i'm glad to see them try we'll take a quick break and we'll be back on the ballpark dimensions podcast it's blazing hot outside you get in your car to turn on the ac to get cold air pumping but it blows hot air out this issue is commonly caused by low refrigerant due to leaks in the ac system you want an easy all-in-one solution that will restore the cold air in no time. AC Pro Recharge Kits. Make restoring cold air easy for even those with zero DIY experience in less than 10 minutes. Save time and money versus going to a shop by picking up an AC Pro Recharge Kit today. Be a pro with AC Pro.
We are back on the Ballpark Dimensions podcast. Each week, Matt and I move into our three-batter minimum. We pick three topics we very much want to talk about. The first one is, hey, the Dodgers have already made two moves. We talk about all the moves that might happen. Well, here are two moves that have happened. Uh, they traded for old friend Kike Hernandez from Boston and new friend Ahmed Rosario from Cleveland. And I found the way both of these deals got reported to be really interesting because for both of these deals, the first name that came out was who the Dodgers were getting, right? It was Dodgers are trading for Kike Hernandez. We don't know who's going back. The Dodgers are trading for Ahmed Rosario. We don't know who's going back. And the initial reaction to both of those was, really? Because, you know, Hernandez has not had a good season. Rosario has not had a good season. And then when you learned who was going back, it's like, oh, yeah, it's great. I'm totally cool with this. Because for Hernandez, they gave up two, you know, sort of fringy reliever pitcher guys. Nick Robertson has been up a little bit. Justin Hageman, who hasn't. So from Boston's point of view, that's great because Hernandez might be getting DFA'd for that. And the Cleveland deal. I can't believe they got a breathing human baseball player for Noah Syndergaard, who had an ERA over seven and was very likely never throwing a pitch for the Dodgers again. Like that, that did not work out. And while I very much appreciate everybody on baseball Twitter telling me that Ahmed Rosario is a lousy shortstop, as though I've never looked at his baseball savant page, as though that's not a site I'm very familiar with, he kills lefties, right? His career against lefties, 302, 343, 474. And even this year, in his terrible year, he has an 822 OPS against lefties. A brief sampling of righties, who he is hitting better than against lefties this year. Randy Arozarena, Adolis Garcia, Pete Alonso, Vlad Jr., new teammate J.D. Martinez. You're telling me for the price of essentially free, you don't take that guy, stick him at shortstop for a handful of innings, get a lead, and then putting Miguel Rojas? Easy win. I love that for the Dodgers, even though Rosario is not having a great year. Yeah, I think part of the issue with Rosario is that like the... The Guardians didn't really put him in a position. To, they, they kind of put him in a position to fail, right? Like, and I know some Guardians fans who are kind of very pleased about this because they've been like watching Terry Francona pencil in Ahmed Rosario into the number two spot in that lineup every day of the season, and he's been really bad in that spot. Like Ahmed Rosario, he's not very good against right-hand pitching, as you said, especially bad against any right-hander who could throw a good breaking ball. His numbers against breaking balls from right-handers are terrible. So you, that's a terrible formula for someone you want to put in the second spot in your lineup when like research shows that's where you should put your best hitter. And a lot of teams do. For example, the Dodgers have Freddie Freeman hitting second. The Dodgers have the best production out of the number two spot in the lineup. The Guardians are 28th in baseball in pr production from the number two spot in the lineup. So you start there. And this is like one of those questions. This is sort of like a separate thing. And I feel like a lot of managers, especially sort of like the old school managers, I think get a lot more say over their lineup, whereas in maybe some organizations with younger managers, it's more collaborative. Rosario batting second definitely feels like a situation of like Francona gets to make the lineup and that's his thing and the front office doesn't get a say. It almost feels like the money ball, like we're training this guy because we, you know, like Carlos Pena gets traded because like they, they don't want to put him in the lineup anymore. It's like we're trade, we're, we are trading him so that you can't bat him second anymore because it's actually crushing our offense. Yeah, I, I saw a number of Guardians fans saying, um, this is just going to make our pitching look better because he was such a wreck defensively at shortstop, which is true. I, I don't mind them moving Rosario. They, they've got a number of middle infielders who were coming up, right? Brian Rocchio, Arias, Freeman. The, issue, the surprising thing for me was, I know you weren't going to get a lot for him. Cinderguard? Like, Cleveland has this reputation as a pitching factory. Fine. So did the Dodgers. <laughs> the Dodgers couldn't do anything with him. I, that that was the confusing part for me. And so, yeah, so 100%. And then 
my thought is that the Dodgers will put him in position to succeed. They're not going to bet him second. They will spot him. He'll start against lefties, maybe against right-handers who aren't don't have nasty breaking balls. He'll bat like eighth or ninth in the lineup and just changes your perspective on like what the expectations are for the player. And then also he will no longer have the like, oh, this is the guy we trade Lindor for like thing hanging over him. The the Dodgers fans won't think of him that way, right? So he will be in a much better position to sort of be put in situations where he can look good as opposed to being put in situations that are going to exploit his biggest weaknesses. Which is a big deal for him. He's 27 years old and he's going into his free agent year. He was going to have a very tough winter and he still might. But if the Dodgers help him fix something over the next two months, uh, that would be great. I mean, that's what they're trying to do, you know, to some extent with Kike Hernandez, too, is they it was very clear they needed a right handed bat, preferably one who could play the outfield because they're, they're pretty aside from Mookie Betts, pretty left handed. Right. Peralta, Outman, Hayward, all lefties. And I wonder, you know, by getting both of these guys, I wonder if that what they're telling us is we don't actually think we can get the right handed bat we wanted. So we're going to get some infielders who can let Mookie Betts play the outfield a little bit more. Because I know Kike Hernandez has a ton of history, a ton of vibes, all the nostalgia with LA. He has not had a good year. Like 222, 279, 320. Um, for whatever weight you put on expected weight on base, he was the last in the baseball at it among qualified players. Uh, essentially as poor defensively at shortstop as Rosario, though, of course, he's a good center fielder to play second base. So I don't worry about that too much. I'm sort of surprised in the same way, like they jumped on that one so quickly. Like if it was deadline day and you hadn't found a right-handed guy and you said, oh, okay, cool, let's bring him back. That's fine. It's surprising to me that you didn't go for like, I don't know, Adam Duvall, Tommy Pham, somebody like that. The Dodgers aren't perfect, right? They've had some 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 whiffs, like you know, trading Jordan Alvarez for Josh Fields, or you know, and they've one or two others like that there. But like, they very much earn the benefit of the doubt. And if they think, hey, you know what, we think Kiki Hernandez could bring something to our club, not just in terms of the vibes, but also like as a player, they they know Kiki Hernandez as well as anyone. I'll give them the benefit of the doubt that they can get something out of. It. And I I think that I I feel fairly confident in saying that like i mean i guess the bar is low to say he'll be better than he was in boston but if any club can figure out how to make him a useful contributor it is the dodgers um i think that's right and i i think people will just be happy to have him there the dodgers by the way are playing the reds this weekend that should be a lot of fun i'm really looking forward to that one our second topic as the trade deadline nears there's a couple of very interesting teams on like the buy sell bubble. You know, there's a lot of teams we know are going to buy. There's a lot of teams we know are not going to buy, and there is a handful of teams, mostly in the National League, who are sort of in the middle. The Cubs, Padres, Diamondbacks, Marlins, and Mariners are all sort of in this weird will they or won't they space. Uh, you know, you could maybe include the Yankees because maybe Judge will be back. But I, I think these are the most interesting teams to be sure. The, the Cubs were the first team on the list you put together here, Matt. And I find them very interesting. Right, they're fifty and fifty-one. 18% playoff odds per fan grabs, but they've won five straight. And I think if you look at some of the deals we just talked about, the White Sox did pretty well for a couple of months of Giolito and Lopez. Uh, I think the Dodgers getting anything for Syndergaard is pretty good. It seems like you can do well in a seller's market. And I almost feel like if you're on the front office of the Cubs, you probably can't sell because the team's playing well, but you might be desperately wishing you could when you look at what everybody else is getting. Like if you look at what Giolito and Syndergaard brought back and you say, well, we have Stroman, who's a better pitcher than either of those guys and someone we cannot give the qualifying offer to because he already got it. You could do really well for Marcus Stroman. 
But I don't think they're going to trade them. I don't think they can right now. They're in a weird spot, right? Because they've they've been rebuilding and they made some moves the last couple of years to try and be like, hey, let's try and be competitive. And now they are. But I think that probably the front office knows they're not serious World Series contenders. And my guess is they almost wish that they could sell, as you said, but they can't. I don't think they can. I mean, the, the NL, this is why I think this buy-sell question is so interesting in the NL because like that race is really wide open, right? Like for for a while, it looked like, oh, maybe, you know, maybe the Diamondbacks will kind of like entrench themselves in a wild card spot. That has not happened. In fact, right now they're on the outside looking in. Same with the Marlins. Like I don't think anyone is looking – right now the Reds have the third spot. And I don't think – and the Giants have the first spot. And the Phillies have the second spot. I probably trust the Phillies the most out of those teams. And then like you go down the list and it's like, how much do I trust the, the Diamondbacks, the Marlins, the Cubs, the, the Padres, right? So it's like – it's going to be pretty wide open. So these clubs have these a really tough decision to make. And you you mentioned Stroman. What's interesting about Stroman, right, is he it's not the, he has an opt out, and that's what makes him so hard to trade. Because like, if you trade him, the team that gets him knows he's going to opt out, unless of course he suffers a really bad injury, in which case you're stuck with him. Like the only way he doesn't opt out is if he basically gets an injury that's going to keep him out for most of next season. Um, so. It's almost like you're absorbing like all the risk in trading for Stroman. That said, if he was available, he would. I think he would get more than Giolito just commanded. I would. I would give up more for Stroman than I would for Giolito. Bellinger can get a qualifying offer, so I think it's like the Cubs probably what they could get for him is probably equivalent to what the draft pick compensation they get. So there's probably less motivation to. Trade him. He's a weird guy too because his his secondary stats are not great, but his first level stats are very good. And he looks like he looks like the old Bellinger, but it's unclear if he actually is the old Bellinger. Yeah, you look at his baseball card numbers: three twelve, five forty five slugging, uh, nine oh five OPS, and you're thinking, "Oh my God, MVP Bellinger's back!" And then he's like in the eleventh percentile of hard hit rate. It's a bizarre season for him. Still playing a good outfield. Uh, but I agree with you. They won't trade him because they probably won't get back a ton more than the qualifying offer uh, would bring. They they still have eight games against the Reds. So like to kind of level set the National League wild card right here as we're talking, the Giants have the first wild card spot, but only by a half game over the Phillies and Reds, who are tied for the second spot. And then right after that, Arizona and Miami are half game back apiece. So like it's a very fluid situation. The Cubs are like four and a half games back. And then the Padres are six and a half games back. That's another team I feel like we should talk about. They, we don't need to reiterate how much money they have spent, are incredibly disappointing. And I've kind of felt that they're a little bit different than the Mets because they're like in the same bucket as teams who spent a lot, haven't really done much. I feel like the Mets are showing us who they are, whereas I keep feeling the Padres have like that run in them. Like I feel like that talent's going to come together and it just hasn't happened. And I don't think they're going to actually trade Snell and Hayter because they're both impending free agents. but. I, what are they going to do? They 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 have almost made all of the moves that they can make over the winter, unless they're just going to redo their bench, which they could. They dumped Nelson Cruz. They could probably dump Matt Carpenter, who hasn't been very good. They they have no depth. They have a ton of stars, and a lot of them are playing well. But I think I've come to the conclusion I can't predict anything AJ Preller is going to do at any point ever because he's like history's most unpredictable GM. But I think the fact that you know you look at them, they have the best run dif- of all the teams in the wild card race that you just mentioned. They have the best run differential of any of those teams. So there's an argument they can make. They they might just say, let's just keep playing the team we have, and we'll probably end up being like playing a little bit better than. Whereas like the the Car- the Marlins, for example, have a negative run differential. Granted, a lot of that is just like Braves. Um, but there's reason to believe that their record is better than what it is is right now, just based on their the run scored versus runs against. 
they've traded so many prospects the last few years that like they're not going to probably make a big swing, but they can make small moves around the margins to improve their bench and their bullpen, which is I think what they'll do. I think that like they're well positioned. They have they have a lot of games left against the against both the Giants and the Diamondbacks, two teams that are currently ahead of them in the race. Like Fangraphs has them at twenty eight percent. Like if I'm them, like I just play it out and you know. See, see where it lands, and obviously this offseason they could lose Snell, they could lose Hader, but th- I don't think I think they're well positioned enough. And you mentioned sort of the 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 the, the Mets being the Yang to their Yin. Like the Mets should probably you know sell what they can, but like the, the Padres I think should 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 play it out. I I'm not saying I'd pre- pick them to finish third in the wild card, but I think I would. I would. It would not be. It would not be the least. It would not be the least bit surprising to me if they end up in the third wild card spot, especially with those head to head games. With Let's the, say there are, with the with the Giants. Yeah. There are one, two, three, four, five, six. Okay. There are uh, seven teams who I think have some kind of realistic shot at the National League wildcard, right? And I, when I look at the Padres, do I trust them more than the Phillies? No. Do I trust them more than the Giants? Probably not, given the like big lead in wins that the Giants have. Do I trust the Padres more than the Reds, Diamondbacks, I was the Dolphins, Marlins, and Cubs? Maybe? To get a third spot? I think maybe I do. The other thing, the other caveat in this discussion, right, is that's based on the current roster. Some of these teams could make huge moves in the next four days that changes the complexion of their roster a little bit. And that might, the Reds being one of them, right, the Reds being a team that I think could make a big move that might make me feel a little more uh, excited about their 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 prospects. Yeah, I know as uh, considering we work for MLB.com, we're legally obligated to pump up Ellie De La Cruz at every, every avenue. He's six for his last 56. Like, whenever you say his ground ball rate is too high, people accuse you of, like, hating puppies and whatever. But that that is a concerning thing to me. Um, since we talked about the Diamondbacks and Marlins, they are an identical 55 and 48. They have both already started to fade. Like, I, I was higher on the Diamondbacks than most, I think, starting the season, and lower on the Marlins than most starting the season. And they've kind of come to the same point. They had, like, a great run. They've started to fade a little bit. Uh, they, the Diamondbacks have six wins this month. The Marlins have seven. I guess we're not talking about Luis Arise hitting 400 anymore because he's hit, like, 290 over the last six weeks. It was never going to happen, but it was a fun story. Do you think both teams are going to buy? I'm not sure I believe they will. I think I think the Diamondbacks more than the Marlins are looking at this more as the start of their next window, right? Because you've got Corbin Carroll and all these guys. Whereas I think the Marlins are like slightly more win now just because of where their core is. I think they they both can probably make some somewhat like cosmetic changes around the margins to at least like say something to their fans of like, hey, we're trying to improve the team without giving up a a, a huge a huge prospect, and that's what I kind of expect both of those teams to do. Like, there's there are spots where the Marlins could improve, could add a bat that will just be an upgrade just by virtue of just being better than you know a, essentially a black hole at a position, right? So I think that like th- we'll see those kinds of moves, but I don't expect either for those reasons. Yeah, I think that the Diamondbacks see themselves as building something slowly and are not going to try and just like you know blow it blow it all for one run this year. The Marlins are are always going to be harder. Harder to predict, but the current rosters. Although it was encouraging to see Sandy Alcantara throw a complete game yesterday, um, but uh, it still feels like, um, and maybe Jazz Chisholm can come back and give them give them a jolt. But his his last two seasons have been so uneven; it's hard to like know what to even expect from him at this point. So I think those are clubs that'll probably make small moves moves around the edges. But I guess you know. We'll see. And then the, the the one team in the American League I want to talk about, because I think if you look at the American League wildcard race, like 
the Yankees aren't going to sell. You know, they'll probably add. They'll hope the judge will like give them a jolt. Um, the Angels are clearly buying. The Red Sox aren't going to sell. Like they're right in the wild card mix. Um, so it's really, I think the 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 Mariners, the only team that are kind of on the fringe, but like they've been pushing towards trying to win the last couple of years. They're not going to stop now. So it's a matter of like, you know, what can they do? They actually have like um, one of the easiest schedules remaining um, of any team, which bodes really well for them. They've got um, three games against the Red Sox starting on Monday, which is really interesting because that's a team they're chasing, followed by four in Anaheim, another team they're chasing. Both teams, all three of those teams on the outside looking in, but really need to win those games against each other to separate themselves. Later in the month, they have. Six straight games against the Royals and the A's, um, which is like that's a pretty good that's a pretty good stretch where you can maybe pick up or pick up some ground. I don't, you know, I think I mentioned this to you on Slack. Joe Posnancy wrote something in his newsletter yesterday of like looking at all the AL contenders if you just removed the A's and Royals from their records and like what it would look like. I mean, like the Twins are like ten and one against those teams, and that's basically like accounts for their lead. The Yankees are eight and one against those teams, and so the the Mariners have six more against the A's and three more against the Royals. Like that's pretty big. That's actually pretty significant in the last two months of the season in a way that could really change the perception of that club. If they could go, you know, even conservatively, you feel like it's almost like seven and two. Like you really kind of look at those games and you're like, I kind of need to go seven and two in those games, right? And that anything less than that would feel like a letdown. I'm pretty comfortable in saying five of the six American League playoff spots are spoken for, right? In the East, Baltimore and Tampa Bay will both get in. We'll see who wins the division. In the West, Texas and Houston will both get in. We'll see who wins the division. And somebody has to win the Central, which at this moment would be Minnesota. So that leaves one spot remaining for Toronto, Boston, the Yankees, the Angels, the Mariners. Five teams. Uh, There are things to like and dislike about all those teams. One spot. So that kind of goes back to the Angels for a minute. That is the needle they're trying to thread with these moves, is to be that one team. Um, the Red Sox have been playing much better lately. I I think of those five teams, Toronto, um, as I mentioned earlier, that that is the team. They've been playing great. And Seattle is easily the fifth of those five teams for me. So while I know there are high hopes this year, and Julio Rodriguez has actually been playing much better recently, which is great. They're sellers to me. I don't uh, stand pat, I guess, but I don't see how they can buy to support this team. And I think I saw Jerry Depoto speak to that effect, saying we just haven't played well enough to make it worthwhile. Maybe it's Stan Pat. I just can't see. I can't see them being like sellers. I mean, hey, they they do have the thing is the thing they do have young, controllable starting starting pitching. So in that regard, they're one team that could actually really surprise and like make a splash. Like if they were the team that was like, hey, you know, Orioles, like we'll trade you one of our young controllable starting pitchers for, you know, one of these great infield prospects you can't, you, you, don't, you don't have a spot for. That's the kind of like earth shattering trade that could happen. If the Marlins, if the, if the Mariners decided to trade one of their young controllable, controllable starters, I just don't really see it. Yeah, I, I think they'll do more of a soft sell where it's someone like, you know, Teoscar Hernandez, uh, a player like that. So I think I'm with you on that. I don't like it when we agree this much, but I guess that's where we are. Our third topic, I do feel like when we looked at the NL Central this year, at various points, we've had to focus on all of the teams. Like at first it was the Pirates. Hey, maybe they're good. And then, hey, the Reds are super exciting. And now we are down to the Brewers, who I think are being wildly underrated. Uh, They are 57 and 46. Would you believe the Milwaukee Brewers have the seventh best winning percentage in baseball? They actually are not that far away from the number two seed. (laughs) Like they might, they might overtake the Dodgers for the number two seed, which is stunning to me. Um, They are only a game and a half up on Cincinnati, but the Reds are kind of falling apart. As I said, LA De Cruz is not 
done a whole lot. The Brewers have already clinched the tiebreaker against the Reds. And there's a couple of interesting things uh, I want to talk about here. There's actually a lot of interesting things here. If you notice Christian Yelich is looking like 2018 Christian Yelich again, he's been awesome. Uh, 134 OPS this year. He actually got off to a slow start. His first 35 games, a 688 OPS. And since then, a 945 OPS. He had 80 homers in 2018 and 19 total and just 35 in the next three seasons. He had injuries, back problems, broke his kneecap a couple of years ago, if you remember. Apparently, he replaced his leg kick with a toe tap at the end of April. And sometimes I feel like we think about those things too much. Like we see a guy producing and then we go to try to prescribe reasons for it because everybody makes mechanical changes all the time. But it seems like it's working. He's been phenomenal. And this is kind of like the theme of their season is that their big stars got off to slow starts. And now they've been great. Corbin Burns had a 410 ERA through the end of June. In July, a 164 ERA with five starts and 42 strikeouts. I can't tell if he's turned his slider into a more breaking slider or it's just now a sweeper. Whatever it is, that pitch is different and he looks great. Brandon Woodruff is going to be back. And I I hate to say it because I never trust anybody in the Central Divisions. I'm in on the Brewers. Like They need a bat. Obviously, every year, they always need a bat. No team has ever needed a bat more, but they will get that bat, and I'm, I think I'm in on them to win this division. As someone who predicted the Brewers to win the division before the season started, you don't need to convince me to be in on the Brewers. I think that's my one like somewhat edgy prediction that's that's looking good. So um, good for me. I'm all in. I mean, it's basically just they've owned the Reds. They've they've ten and three against the Reds, the Reds, and that's basically been the difference. As you mentioned, they've already clinched a tiebreaker, so that one and a half game lead is kind of a two and a half game lead. Um, you kind of have to any make a mental note when you look at the standings. There's an extra game on there, kind of, because the Brewers will need to pass them in this. I mean, the, the Reds will need to pass them in the standings in order to win the division. So I am also in on the Brewers who. Keep doing it. They make no team. Not I shouldn't say no team. They are as good at any team in baseball at making. smart moves on the margins. And it's interesting, for the last couple of years, they've been all about the starting rotation, right? But Freddie Peralta's got a 446 ERA. You know, as I said, Woodruff's been hurt all year. Burns got off to a rough start. They they have resuscitated some interesting guys, like Julio Terran's back in the majors, and he's actually pitching okay. I wanted to take a minute to look back at last year's uh, incredible trade. So if you remember the Sean Murphy trade, uh, over the winter from Oakland to Atlanta. And it seems like at the last minute, the Brewers like popped in just to like make it a three-team deal. And they ended up getting William Contreras, who is a catcher, and uh, a pitcher, Joel Piamps, and two other minor leaguers, basically just for Asturi Ruiz, who we both said at the time, great runner, not so sure about his defense, can't hit. That's exactly what's happened. Well, look what the Brewers did just to like weasel themselves in there. As everyone predicted, William Contreras uh, has markedly improved his defense behind the plate for the Brewers. He's been pretty good, 113 OPS plus. But Joel Piamps, and if you don't know that name, he's been one of those guys who's just been like tossed around on waivers forever. I think he went back and forth between Toronto and Boston like four times in two months, like two years ago. All he's got is a 168 ERA with 55 strikeouts in 46 games. This is what the Brewers do. And that is a trade that now looks like an all-time heist. All-time is a lot. I shouldn't say that. A recent era heist. Because <laughs> a, a low-key heist didn't seem like they needed. Yeah, they didn't seem like they needed to even be in the trade. And I mean, Murphy's been wonderful, right? But that—that's what they do. This is what makes the Brewers great. And um, I—I don't—I don't know what they're gonna do at the deadline, other than like they need a bat because you can't get by with just Yelich and Contreras. Like Rowdy Telez got himself hurt in a very weird way. <laughs> like ripped his finger on the outfield wall. He's coming back soon. Willie Adams has not had a great year. I feel like they need an 
an outfielder. Well, maybe not. Sal Freilich's been very good since he came up. Joey Weimer's fine. Some kind of infielder who can hit and play the left side, I think. Those are not easy guys to come by, but Heimer Candelario, Milwaukee, turns us in the eyes to you. We'll be right back on the MLB.com Ballpark Dimensions podcast. Hey, Rob Bradford here. You guys know I'm always up for a good MVP story, and one of the best stories is Wasabi Technology. Wasabi is the world's hottest cloud storage company, and it's become the go-to provider for professional and collegiate sports teams, including 20 major league baseball teams like the Red Sox and NHL teams like the Bruins and Vancouver Canucks. Even the Liverpool Football Club is getting in on the Wasabi action. So why is Wasabi the MVP? Well, Wasabi was purpose-built to free businesses from skyrocketing storage costs and unpredictable transaction fees that the Amazons of the world are charging. In fact, Wasabi is up to 80% less than those hyperscalers and doesn't charge a cent for businesses to access their data. From Wasabi's AI-enabled intelligent media storage, Wasabi Air, to the industry's only cloud storage service with triple protection against cyber criminals, data deletion, and ransomware, Wasabi's taking the lead in driving innovation in data storage and helping sports teams to unleash the power of their data. Wasabi, another Boston-based championship team. And we're back on the MLB.com Ballpark Dimensions podcast. Mike Petrillo and Matt Myers. Each week, we like to end our show by focusing on a couple of lesser-known names that you should know a little bit more about. My guy this week is a reliever for the Philadelphia Phillies who's got a 270 ERA in 24 games. Jeff Hoffman, who has had a wild 2023 already. He signed pretty late in spring, February 27th, as a non-roster invite with the Twins. A month later, when he was told he wasn't making the Twins roster, he asked for and received his release. And then a couple of days later, signed a minor league deal with the Phillies. But here's the thing that's super interesting. In late April, when Bryce Harper was attempting to work his way back from his injury, he started taking batting practice at Citizens Bank Park. And what they did was they called up a couple of minor league guys, like some random low A arm, uh, some other guys. Jeff Hoffman was one of these guys to pitch batting practice, right? They wanted Harper to get live batting practice off professional pitchers. That's where Jeff Hoffman was in April. Just a guy throwing batting practice. Turns out that they had faced each other once before back in 2016, and Harper lit him up for some kind of extra base hit. And uh, there was a really interesting story in the Philadelphia Inquirer, and this is what Hoffman said. He quote said, after we were done, he told me, hey, that was different from what I remember. And it made me think, maybe it is different. Isn't that amazing? Pitching batting practice to Bryce Harper when he's hurt, and Bryce Harper compliments you, and it like gives you the confidence to think that maybe you're doing something right. A couple days later, he exercises his opt-out in his contract with Philadelphia, which basically forced them to put him on the roster. And now he's become a pretty big part of like a surging Philadelphia team. And remember how long it took him to get here. Way back in 2014, he was the number nine overall pick by the Blue Jays. That was the cursed year that Brady Aiken and Tyler Kolek went one and two, uh, but also top 15 that year. Rodon, Schwarber, Nola, Freeland, Conforto, Trey Turner. Yeah, a whole bunch of his teammates. They have like the entirety of the first half of the 2014 first round playing for the Phillies this year. He was traded to Colorado in the Tulitsky trade the next year. In Colorado, it just never worked out. Between 2016 and 2019, he had a 640 ERA. By my unofficial count, he was optioned 13 different times by the Rockies to AAA. 
spent two years with the Reds and uh, got DFA'd. And, and if you look at his like metrics, he is essentially the story of Major League Baseball right now. Number one, his velocity is way up. 97 now. It was 94 last year. Number two, despite that, he's not throwing it as much. His slider is now his primary pitch. And number three, a credit to his uh, AAA coaches, they said, stop nibbling, throw your stuff in the zone. You are nasty. That is like so many success stories. And I just think that's cool for a guy who was a top pick a decade ago that he needed to throw BP to Bryce Harper to get confidence. I love that story. Back in my days at Baseball America, I worked with a guy named Chris Klein who moved on to become a scout for the Pirates and then the Blue Jays. And he was the Blue Jays area scout in 2014, who was the signing scout on Jeff Hoffman. So I've followed Jeff Hoffman's career closely. So it's cool to see him succeeding after all this after all this time. Um, my guy also has a tie to Philadelphia, but that's because he's from the Philadelphia area and is probably most famous for his amazing catch in Game 5 of the World Series last year for the Astros. Uh, I'm talking about Chaz McCormick. Chaz McCormick, who was, I would say, quietly hitting 278, 367, 523 with a 146 weighted runs created plus. That is 15th among players with at least 200 plate appearances. That's ahead of Matt Olson, ahead of Corbin Carroll, ahead of Luis Robert, and many other big names. He only has 249 plate appearances because he missed about a month this season with a lower back injury. This is a guy who kind of felt like a fourth outfielder. And in fact, last year in 2022, in late June, was optioned to AAA in late <laughs> in late June while hitting 219, 291, 394. But he never actually got actually never actually played in the minors last year because Michael Brantley um, got hurt as he often does, um, and McCormick ended up getting brought back to the majors without ever having played a game back in the minors, and was an integral part of that uh, World Series winning team last year, um, especially because of that catch in Game Five, and then has been you know as the the Astros have tried to like overcome the absence the extended absence of Jose Altuve and uh, Jordan Alvarez. He's basically been their second best hitter in the in the absence, maybe best, maybe better than Kyle Tucker. Kyle Tucker, who's quietly again putting together like you know a down ballot MVP season without anyone noticing. The other thing I love about Chaz McCormick that I want to mention is that he is one of only two players in the major leagues right now of the throws throws uh, sorry bats right throws left variety. The the Ricky Henderson All Stars and the crazy part about it is there's the only. The only other player in the majors right now, only position player that is, um, who bats right and throws left is Jake Myers, his teammate on the Astros. Um, I always love guys like that. In fact, I want to hit you with a little trivia about the bats right, throws left all-stars before we go. Oh, no, I don't want this. <laughs> okay. <laughs> <laughs> this is kind of it. So in Major League history... Of the top 10 seasons by war from players who bat right and throw left, nine of them are by Ricky Henderson. God. But there's one other player in, in the top 10. Do you know who that player is? To spare everybody like 45 seconds of silence, can you give me like a decade? <laughs> uh, the 60s. Uh, let's see. Bats right and throws left. Okay, if he throws lefty, he was a first baseman or he was an outfielder in the 60s. Is it Willie McCovey? Uh, no, it is uh, Cleon Jones on the 1969 Mets. Oh, get out of here. <laughs> the highest position player. Come on. I came across this just searching it today. One more trivia question that you might be able to get. Okay. Only three players who debuted in the divisional era who bat right and throw left have at least 10 career war. Ricky Henderson is one of them. Who are the other two? Chaz McCormick. <laughs> no, not yet. He's close. <laughs> He's about to join the list. Oh. I, I don't know. I don't know the answer to these things. I really I have, couldn't even guess. I don't know. 
Um, they are uh, Ryan Ludwig, yeah. who has become one of my favorite uh, Immaculate Grid guys, and Cody Ross, uh, hero of the uh, maybe 2010 World Series with the Giants. Yeah, oh, that's it. Yeah. That's sure. the list. Why, did, why didn't I come up with Ryan Ludwig on demand? Boy, that's a big fail. Uh, last thing on McCormick that you failed to mention that I remember him from the World Series last year. He makes the great catch. Um, they they did the tape job. It was like the starfish on the outfield with the number twenty. That was that was him. And I remember him from like two years ago. They had this like three headed center field monster in uh, Houston. It was him. It was Myers, and it was Jose Siri. Right. Well, they traded Siri to Tampa Bay, and McCormick has like taken over the job. In fact, I would not be surprised if uh, fake cousin Jake over there is someone who gets traded in the next couple of days because I feel like he could help somebody. And this is McCormick's job now. That'll do it for this week's podcast. Don't miss an episode by subscribing on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you're enjoying the show, have any suggestions, please leave us a rating and a review. Thanks for listening to the Ballpark Dimensions podcast. See you next week. Picture this, it's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road, the steeper the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive, so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones, so we'll never lose touch with civilization, and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic? And conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai. There's joy in every journey.